0: Uh, There was a little girl, a little blonde-haired girl in my class named Heather Lund. And I was aware that her mother had passed away from cancer. It was very clear she liked me. She used to hang around. She would tell me she had a Miss Niedemeyer doll. I mean, she was a cute kid.
1: Karen. You're a special guest. I know everybody is looking forward to listening to your story, and I know you'll be a great addition to our alumni series.
0: Well, thank you.
1: Your first job after college was a first grade teacher. And I, in that classroom, there was a little blonde girl named Heather, and she changed your life forever.
0: Yes, she did.
1: Please share with us the well, story behind that.
0: Moved up to Warren County and I took a job at Liberty Township School, which is part of Great Meadows Regional. And they assigned me a first grade class, which was perfect. Uh, there was a little girl, blonde haired girl in my class named Heather Lund. And I was aware that her mother had passed away from cancer. It was very clear she liked me. She used to hang around. She would tell me she had a Miss Niedermeyer doll. I mean, she was a cute kid. One day in front of a whole bunch of other teachers, which is some kind of, makes it more embarrassing. She goes, Miss Nita Meyer, you don't have a daddy, and I don't have a mommy, so why don't you marry my daddy? And I said <laughs> something like, Oh, Heather, I I've never even met your daddy. Well, she was like not going to be deterred by this. This that wasn't a problem. So she said, Oh, you'll meet him at parent conference. Well, sure enough, parent conference comes around, and Bob Lund walks into the room for the conference. And he starts talking and he said, you know, something about me being from Woodbridge. I don't know how, maybe I told the kids I was from Woodbridge. Turns out he grew up on Sherry Street. My grandmother lived on Buns Lane. We used to go to the same candy store and everything. Basically, we just from talking, becoming familiar with him. He was a fellow Woodbridge person. He graduated from Woodbridge High School, but he's 11 years older than me, so he graduated in 1959. Now, We started talking. Sooner or later, that year was over, and we were dating. I transferred over to another school because at that point, it was pretty obvious that these were going to become my stepchildren. I didn't want to be teaching them, to give a little distance. So sure enough, we got married. We've been married 40 years this past November. And um, I adopted, and I raised his three kids. And they blessed me with like seven grandchildren who are all gorgeous and gifted and talented and wonderful okay <laughs>
1: grandma okay grandma let's go <laughs> that's terrific it's it's great to hear that did heather ever own up if she had a strategic game plan and did she get coached
0: uh i don't know about that i think she just it's hard to tell he won't admit it <laughs> but, <laughs> but um he de- definitely when Sometimes the older two, Kirsten and Chris would, would tease Heather. It's your fault she's here and i complain. No, she'd be complaining. I don't want to clean my room. You know, one of those kind of kid things. Well, it's your fault she's here. You know, what I mean, you didn't want her here. You shouldn't have fixed her up with dad. You know, it, it's a very interesting way to put a family together. Let's put it that way.
1: It's yeah. an excellent family story. Let's talk about somebody's passion for environmental awareness. Was it nurtured or did you? first become aware of it any of our school
0: well it was yes it was it was definitely during high school and i was trying to remember my father always was very conscious of pollution and things like that but he wasn't what i would necessarily call an environmentalist but he would talk about it once if if you think back we had like chevron oil and um, bird ash for you know it, all these places that used to clear out their smokestacks and all this black stuff would come out and i remember one time th- that it had burned the paint on my father's car now of course you're thinking to yourself it's burning the paint on the car you know <laughs> and then my dad would say well, yeah, it's bad enough it's bearing the pain on the car, but we're breathing this stuff. Now, I've got to remember, I was the same kid who was chasing the mosquito sprayer down the road with Nancy Hopton, and Aletta Vandernat, and Janice Wicky, getting ourselves all covered with DDT, and we thought that was just fine. But um, there was a lot of stuff that that I believe as, as the 60s, and especially when Earth Day and stuff started coming around, there was be a little bit of awareness of, Maybe that we were doing some things that were like really stupid, you know, the the, the chemical use. And maybe maybe some of the readings I did in high school, you know what I mean? Silent spring and different things like that. They you have people talking about it and then you start to becoming old enough to see things happening. When I moved up here to um, Warren County. That was right after that whole battle about Sunfish Pond and the, they were going to put, they were going to dam the Delaware. It turns out that they, they never did. But um, that was probably the time when I started to just have an interest, started taking more classes. I mean, my background was in elementary and special ed. Eventually, I went on and got a reading specialist because it was complementary to both areas of my, you know, teaching. When I started the elementary uh sorry the environmental ed stuff it was it was so almost became like that was my my, my hobby. you know what I mean I, right. I was with raisin monarch butterflies i had bir- blue you know bluebird trails, and these were always with the kids things that were um i think I tend to focus more on things that the kids could do in their backyard because a lot of times when you're teaching kids environmental issues, which I eventually taught in middle school to the to the actual students that you teach them about things in the world that happen and they're, they're never going to go to Brazil, but if they're, they're messing up the, they'll throw a cup out there, a styrofoam cup out the window of the car, because they don't think about it. Somebody will pick it up. You know, the people who get in trouble with the police pick up the garbage. Well, no, don't throw the garbage out in the first place. Um, I started to, I write some programs, and I got some training, which was in some national programs, Project Learning Tree, Project Wet, Project Wild, and Aquatic Wild. And I went on a crew where we wrote – I started getting grants, basically what happened. So they invited about five of us who kept getting a lot of money, and they wanted to know how we were getting the money. So we sat down and, you know, put our heads together, went down to North Carolina. We wrote up like a cookbook how to get grant money. So I started to do these workshops for teachers on, you know, how to include environmental ed into their classroom, into their workshops, uh, raising monarch butterflies, doing things that any kid, I wanted to have things that a child in North could do. It's one thing in Warren County when you have all these farm fields and stuff, and it's easy to take the kid out and maybe show them, you know, some nature. But what about the kid who has a window box? You know, all they need is one or two um, common milkweed plants. They're going to have butterfly. They're going to have caterpillars all over it. They would love that. You know, so this is how that's how I got into it. And, and I enjoyed it thoroughly.
1: You focus your attention on the youth and the younger student as opposed to an older student, whether it's high school or college, because you believe in influencing them at an early age so it becomes their passion and they carry the baton. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's that's what I always said to when I would do the workshops. I'd say to the teachers where this doesn't belong just in an environmental issues class in a high school or even in a, in a middle school. You have to infuse this into the kids' curriculum. And I'm not saying you're going to brainwash them. You're going to say, do you think? I'll I, I use an example. When I taught eighth grade, I was teaching government. I would have the kids look up political candidates and tell me who they would vote for just based on their, on the the candidate's environmental records they could sit now they didn't have to pick someone who was who was pro environment they wanted to vote you know vote for somebody who was you know wanted to pollute the whole world they had the right to do that but they had to back it up why would you do this um, a lot of people would say oh we have enough um, you know whooping cranes we don't need any more that's a waste of money and that would be okay they could back up their but they had to find candidates and Tell me why they were going to vote for that person just based on the environment. Now, what was interesting about that is when they learned how to figure out how a candidate voted for the environment, they could also figure out how any candidate voted for anything. It's all public record, but nobody looks at it. You know, it's, it's hard to get people to, these were eighth graders, they were heading to high school, and I would say to them, in a couple of years, you're voting. I would like you to vote for uh, anyone you want to vote for, but don't vote because the person has a Brown lab, you know, vote for some issue that you feel strongly about. And that's, that's how that's, primarily how I vote (laughs) I mean that's they are the environmentalists and that's not democratic republican because the republicans put through the environmental protection act so it's who's ever there at the time and the and the philosophy at the time I'm not anti using energy of any type Um, I think that we we have the ability to do it without polluting and if it costs a little more to do it without polluting then that's what you have to do um, I realize we need electric and everything else and I need a cell phone. And so I'm not anti, I don't want to go back and live in a tent and, you know, just have a, have a wood stove, but I don't want them to frack and pollute. If they're going to frack, they have to get the junk out of the ground. I don't want to start ranting. <laughs> with your,
1: with your passion for environmental awareness, is that in part the reason why you live where you live right now?
0: Absolutely. Yes. I, well, Yes and no, and my very earliest reason for moving up here was because I liked skiing, so it was um I went to I went to Middlesex, then I went to Jersey City State College they changed the name to something, but that's what it was when we went to school. I enjoyed going to school there because. Janice Wicky went there, too, with Diane. We used to Zoom in and out of New York City. It actually was a fun place to go to college because we just had to get right on the tubes and you were in Manhattan, which when you're young is fun. I enjoyed that. But then when I finished college, I found I was spending every weekend up here. So I was I was working spending every weekend up here and then I I just figured out that if I got a job up here not only did I love it I love the water gap area I love the farms I love the the openness but I also love skiing so that was a motivation um and I skied most of my life I don't which I don't ski anymore because if I throw my back out again I'm not going to be able to take care of the horses so I have to choose my devil you know
1: I want to ask you a question before we get to the point of you marrying a cowboy. Uh, yeah. let's, go, let's go back to the Edgar Hill gang. I'm learning how many 50 years later that the polite, quiet girls are not quite that quiet. Uh, oh, we
0: had fun. We were, <laughs> well, there was a lot of kids on our street. It was almost like, let's see, there's Janice Wicki, Nancy Hopta, Letta Van, they're not. Not some-
1: exactly party girls.
0: No we didn't necessarily party but we were we were always outside doing something i mean you know i remember like billy hall lived on my street rosina spicklin lived down the, down the other side of lockwood chucky lawnhart lived right around the corner from me kenny Blasey, who never finished with our class but was in our class going through i mm-hmm. think they moved to oxford or something like that but he was um uh, he used to go out with betty handerhan Um, All these kids were, and and that doesn't even include the kids that maybe didn't go to Woodbridge High School that were, that went through St. James with us. But then when we switched over to number 11 and Woodbridge Barron Avenue, some of the kids continued in at like the Catholic school and then went to the the Catholic high school. I think it was St. Mary's in Perth Amboy. But there was a ton of kids. We were outside. We were hiking through the woods. What what now is God like apartments down at the end of Lockwood Avenue and Rawway. It was like this big giant uh um, Phragmites thing where <laughs> I mean, I it was amazing. We would go we would go in there and I remember Johnny Rootshan fell down a well one time. Now we got him out initially we were like, we weren't allowed to be down there. You know what I mean? Like we were, we were hang out on the railroad track, but what a good place to play. You know what I mean? But again, we didn't get run over by the train, but we, you know, there was just a huge gang of kids. We like moved around. No, we we never got in any trouble. We never robbed anybody's house or did anything bad, but our parents wouldn't have approved of, of us playing on the railroad track either. You know,
1: <laughs> There was so much we got away with. And, uh, oh. Yeah, we were not accountable. I mean, go out in the morning and come home at night.
0: You know, I think the same thing because I watch my grandkids with their cell phones and how they have to check in with my kids all the time. And I'm not saying that that's bad parenting. It's a totally different time. But we would go out and we always used to play like in front of Janice Wicky's house. It was the biggest part of the street. And when the street lights went on, we had to go home. But we would, we could be gone all day. You know how many sandwiches Aletta Vandernet's mother fed me? Like 9,000. We would always be playing up that section. And she would, like she'd call you in, call Aletta in, and she'd see Nancy and Karen and Je- come on in, come on in. She'd give us all sandwiches. My mother wasn't questioning if I was okay. I mean, I'm sure if I did something bad, Mrs. Vandernut would have called up and said, Yeah, you know what Karen did? You know, something like that. But anyway.
1: Well, that's my point. You just <laughs> said if I was bad, yes. she would have called my mother. In my case, I had other neighboring parents call my mother. <laughs> so that's, well,
0: you, that's you my problem. You sneaky enough, that's all. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh,
1: too much. Um, when you go back. And you're close enough to go back because your brother is in your family house, correct? I was
0: there yesterday. Oh, terrific. Yes. My brother's birthday was March 30th. He wasn't home. So Bob and I went down to see George on the 31st. And yes, he bought my mother's house. It really is nice because I go home. You know, I walk in and... And it's not just visiting my brother. It's, it's being home for a while. Yeah, I made him a cake and I brought it over there. <laughs> yeah, we said happy birthday to him.
1: <laughs> I'm going to reverse the, the typical question. What hasn't changed about Woodbridge that you are pleased about?
0: When I walked down my, walked into my house yesterday, the, when I look to the right, the playground that Nancy and Aletta and Janice and all of us used to play on, I'm talking about like the, the sliding board is different and stuff, but that's still all open. The field that's behind my house that people used to play. I don't know. They used to just run around on it. We played tag or we'd hide in the bushes behind each other. And, and we would build forts. I remember Kenny Blasey and I building forts behind my house in this big open field. And other kids, we'd all build forts. I don't know what we were, thought we were doing, but we did it. You know, like you go through that stage where you're just like dragging sticks and you think you're making something. It's still there. The playground is still there. And as, as weird as it sounds, like when the trains go by, I mean, I grew up my whole life. I came home from Elizabeth General Hospital to that house on, uh, Lockwood Avenue and I heard those New York trains going 24 hours a day. I don't hear them. Now suddenly I was in front of my, in front of my brother's house yesterday, the house I grew up in, and all the trains were zooming by and I was almost laughing because it, it reminded me of, of that was my whole life. You know what I mean? Like the New York trains were were constantly, and they weren't far from the house. I mean, it's like two or three lots, and those lots were 50 by 100 lots. No no fence. Like, you know, today they have big fences there, so you can't go on the train track. There were no fences when I was a kid. It still remind the, the neighborhood still reminds me of the same neighborhood. I feel at home there. It doesn't seem scary. Like, you know, I, I don't think I'd be afraid there at 3 o'clock in the morning or anything like that, It's which is nice. I still feel that. And I don't think I'm naive. I think the people live there are nice. You know, the, they're different people, but it kept that.
1: Any particular business in general or, say, mm-hmm. restaurants?
0: Oh, well, Mayfair, you, we almost lived at it. The pizza place at Mayfair was right down the, and the hillside. Right. And I have gone back there, and even though it has a different owner, it's called something like Mulberry Street or something like that, it still has some of the same old booths in there. Like it almost (laughs) smells the same. Not that it was a bad smell, but like you used to walk in there, and I remember I would get hit with that smell of oregano, like if they were putting it in garlic, like if they were putting it all over the place. And I have eaten there. You know, every now and then, if I stop to see my brother, I'll say, oh, let's just go get a pizza. And we'll head, head down to what was the Mayfair.
1: Right. And it, it, It's like if you, re, I don't know about you, but if I walked into the Five and Dime on Main Street, it always had a particular smell. And I I learned at, over the years that you could blindfold me anywhere in the country, take me into a Five and Dime, and I'll tell you where I am. They all smell the same.
0: for yeah, some reason. they do. <laughs> and it's funny, the five and dime that next to the A&P down there, Yes. I remember it was a big deal. Nancy hopped in, I got permission to take our bikes and drive to Woolworths and be able to have those sodas that were in the paper cup. That was yeah. like a big deal And to go to the movies. Because I guess we had to be, like, over the age of six or something. I don't know. Our parents would let us run around the street, but we weren't allowed to, like, leave the neighborhood. And finally, when we were allowed to, like, go down Ridgedale Avenue and go down to Main Street, it it was, like, a big deal. We thought we were hot stuff. Now we we had had arrived because we could go to Woolworths all by ourselves.
1: (laughs) My parents used to shop. Either at Two Guys from Harrison or excuse me, at the A&P or the other one was the Mutual.
0: Mutual and then it turned into Finest. And that was my job throughout the end of high school and almost all the way through college was that it was Mutual and then it turned into Finest.
1: What did you do there, Karen?
0: Well, if this is good. Initially, I was just like at the cash register and then they trained me to go and work at the, at the desk. You know, when I was over 18, I was I was handling cash and people's checks and things like that. Now, I was making a dollar 80 an hour. There was a a sign up saying they were looking for people in the part time help in the deli and the butcher shop. And it was four twenty an hour. So I went to my boss. His name was Jimmy. And I told him I wanted to work. I wanted that job. And he says, no, no, I need you here. You know how to run everything here at this cash register, not the register, where they, you know, cash everybody's checks and stuff. You
1: did it too well.
0: Well, no, he says, I need you here. And I says, yeah, but that job's paying four twenty an hour. So eventually it came down to where he's stuttering. And I said, I, I, I come in, I'm on time, I'm early, I work extra time when you have people calling sick. But what's the problem? And it turned out that there were no women working there. And I said, you know, that's not a girl's job. And I said, I know you didn't just say that to me. I said, <laughs> he's—they're they, paying four twenty. What do you want to work there for? You have to wear this big white butcher coat. You have to—I said—'cause that's paying four twenty an hour, and I'm making a dollar and eighty an hour. So either pay me four twenty an hour for handling all the checks, or let me go and cut up. Me, I don't know. Whatever they're doing, whatever it pays four twenty an hour, that's what I want to do. So they let me have the job, but so I was the first girl that worked in there, and they weren't too happy about it. Like they gave me a size fifty-two jacket, and you know things that like the like I didn't wear a size fifty-two.
1: To discourage you. Right?
0: Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, what I did was I quickly. All the jobs that people don't like, like no one likes to do inventory and stuff. I made sure I learned how to do them really quickly so that I was sort of valuable to them. And then they left me alone because they saw I wasn't just like I was I was actually trying to work. You Very know?
1: smart. Very smart.
0: Well, and it's and it's funny because, see, if I were to tell my granddaughters that they would never understand that someone didn't want to give me a job that paid twice as much just because I was a girl. But it would never occur to them. It That was different then.
1: Well, yeah, you paid the price in that mm-hmm. transition where your grandchildren don't know.
0: Yes, <laughs> that's good. I know.
1: And that's a good thing. Yes, and besides, with speaking of environmental awareness, the backyard of the uh, finest there would be perfect for you. I could see you getting lost there all day long
0: at River that's you know people didn't even realize that was back there and a lot of that was now they they've sort of rerouted some of that and they have they actually put a greenway through so that's a lot of what to a certain extent that I did but up here we would just take areas that usually like if you could see those phragmites well like the kids would call them fuzzy wuzzies well if you could see those that meant it was a disturbed area and if you can get those out of there and get some of those invasives out and put the native plants in, it's amazing that that the animals that we come back.
1: I have to imagine you have a great deal of former students that try to stay in touch with you and, and keep you up to speed on what they're doing with their life.
0: It, it's one of my greatest, I heard you ask somebody else like, you know, what, how do you want to be remembered or something? That's mm-hmm. one of the greatest compliments when the kids, usually they try to get in touch with me through Facebook. You know, Mrs. Lund, do you remember me? Of course I remember you, but, but in my brain, you're in fifth grade. You know what I mean? Like, right. <laughs> look at your picture on Facebook. I'm there. My God, how did you get so old? You're only 10, you know. But anyway. <laughs> Um, yes, that when they reach out, and they almost always one of the first things they almost always tell me is, "You're not going to believe it." My son is in a Cub Scouts now, and he's making bluebird houses. And I told him how we made all the bluebird houses, and how one of our the classmates opened it up, and the bluebird pecked him in the head. And you know, they they remember all these stories that maybe I would prefer they didn't remember, but you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, Like they, I I did I I. I think that there were a lot of the kids who, probably because of my own enthusiasm, see things differently. You know what I mean? Instead of seeing milkweed as a noxious weed, which is how New Jersey, by the way, has it classified, they see it as the host plant for a migratory insect, which is unique in itself. Now, in California, you guys have some really excellent um, wintering areas, but all of the monarch butterflies that are in California are on the Western side of the Rocky mountain and they move out to the coast. The ones that go through Mexico are on the East coast, actually even down into Florida and they funnel down. So they, there's a separation of like where they're born. They go back to the same place.
1: You take a gentleman from Woodbridge you allow him to go to school in Montana. What happens to him?
0: He comes back a wild cowboy. <laughs> Literally, he. I'm sure he went out to Mont- University of Montana, <laughs> Missoula, to uh, to study forestry. And you think, what on earth is he doing back here as a forester? And I'm sure he didn't intend to come back, but there was just no jobs out there. But in the in the four and a half years he was out there, he. Um, he totally embraced the whole Western culture, you know, the riding, riding horses. And I was only on a horse like maybe once in my whole life before I met him. And I think it was at the Woodbridge drive-in. They used to have some horse ride that you can sit on.
1: My, yeah. Was, I was just going to say mine was in the front of two guys that required a quarter. Um, so he, like he left, he left in a Mustang Ford and he came back with a four-legged <laughs> yes, pony that you must have fell in love with because a horses have been part of your life ever since.
0: Yes. Yes. Tell us, they,
1: tell us how. Well,
0: I have when, when we were when I was still teaching and he was still working for Fish and Wildlife, I we had horses but they were being boarded. And um it was just too much work if you have a real job, you know, it's not but as soon as um as he retired, he retired a few years before I did. He suggested that we buy a buy a, a, a little farm, which is what we now have, and open up a horse hotel. One, two things happens. One, it supports your horse addiction, which can be rather expensive, and it also um, is a sort of a fun retirement job. You know, you get people come and go, and there you have horses going into the into New York City for the Puerto Rican Day Parade, all the Passafinos, and then you have somebody coming up from Texas who's on their way to Maine for like they're they're doing a century thing, a hundred mile walk and race and whatever. So anyway, um, a lot of the horses we get are from JFK Airport. So we opened up a horse hotel. We sold our property in Liberty Township to the state of New Jersey for Jenny Jump State Forest. Um, The Highlands Act opened up, might not mean anything to you from California.
1: Why did you sell it to them? To protect it? To protect it.
0: The Highlands Act, is it took all the aquifer. There's a huge aquifer from Warren County um, that runs up through um, Connecticut, you know, uh, and upstate New York. It is absolutely pure water. And the, no, it is really, when you say it's not polluted, it's perfect water. We, they, they put the Highlands Act through because New York, Connecticut, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania were so densely populated. If without that aquifer, there's a lot of people that aren't going to have any decent water to drink and they're not going to be able to make beer because they use that pure water for all the beer they make. Anyway, um, we, we sold it to, um, the state of New Jersey to incorporate into Jenny jump state forest. We bought this farm and we opened up a horse hotel.
1: What did you name it?
0: But for chance horse hotel, which was the name of my first horse chance. Um, was a Bay quarter horse. I got him when he was 12 and he died when he was 32. So I had him for 20 years and he was just the best horse. I, I mean, he was like the best horse to learn on. He made you look so good; you could be on this horse, it just looked like totally looked like you knew it, what you were doing. Where he was sort of just compensating for like you you being not that good of a rider, but he could he was just awesome. And that's why we said but for Chance, because if Chance had been like a total not head, I might have like given up and <laughs> a motorcycle or something. But Chance was such a good boy; like I thought all oh, horses are like that. And little, fortunately. By the time I was on other horses, I, I was a better rider because Bob just showed me how to ride. I never took any, Bob learned how to ride, but I never took any formal lessons. It was sort of like a ride or die. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You know how husbands say that. You'll be fine. What does that mean? Like I will fall off on my head and break my neck? I guess so. But anyway. Yeah, sorry
1: doesn't work afterwards.
0: I will, I never hurt myself. (laughs) Unfortunately, um, I, I guess I had enough, enough balance to stay on the horse and I still do, but we've gone out to cattle drives and things like that. He took me out to Montana. Oh, you'll be fine. Meanwhile, I have like, you know, like this bull chasing my horse and the ho- horse opens up full speed. I didn't fall off, but anyway.
1: And how many do you own now presently?
0: We own three. Uh, Rusty is, um, retired because he has navicular, can't ride him. So he just stands out there and he's eye candy. And then we have two horses we can ride, um, Hoodoo and um, um, Duke. So I have a paint and a uh, quarter horse that we ride. And the trails around here are fantastic. Like if you want the, all the wildlife management areas, you can ride in with just a permit. And uh, th- there's a lot of old railroad areas that that the railroads took pulled up the tracks, and they made sort of like people pass out of, but they're not – they're not like the type of city people path that has asphalt on it. It's all like just gravel. And, um, you can go for 20, 30 miles. I mean, I usually don't, but I could get on, a I could get on a path here in Warren County, go up all the way into Sussex County if I wanted to on a horse. It's fun.
1: Let's talk about the reunion. I assume you're going to try your best to attend.
0: I'm, I'm signed up and I'm harassing other people to sign up. Good. Um, I finally talked Ann Morgan into it. She said she's signing up this week. And um, of course, Nancy and Aletta. I've I've almost been able to go to all of them and, unless I just happen to be away. I think I only missed one. Um, but I always said if I just see Nancy and Aletta, that's fine. But I always Janice Wiki's never gone to one, I don't think. The people I would like to see there that I usually don't see are Janice Wiki. Lucy Lombardi and Sharon Rudman. It would be awesome if they went.
1: Do you stay in touch with them at all?
0: Well, not that much. Just, I mean, on, on Sharon on Facebook. And, um, but, but you know, people, they don't live in New Jersey. So they're sometimes if they, if, if it's like a big vacation, you know, they get to go.
1: Easier said than done. Right.
0: Yes. It's, and I always say that I understand because I'm just getting in the car and driving an hour and 20 minutes. You know, and if I wanted to, if I didn't, thought it was too far to drive home, I could stay at my brother's. So I can always, or the way the girls, the you know, the committee now has that, that thing. I think I'm just going to stay over next to the pines. Why not?
1: But, well, um, God bless Aletta because for the last couple of days, I've been getting emails from her saying, Rich, uh, I'm dying to find out who's going to be your next guest and who's next and oh, you know, going to be on there. I wouldn't tell her. Oh, you I, wouldn't tell her? Okay. No, because I thought okay. she she's going to be so happy to see that it's you. But I I just avoided her. Oh, no, that's okay. I wasn't rude. I talked, you know, I replied about oh, everything under the sun, but whatever she asked. So it'll be fun for her to see that you're on here.
0: We really had a great place we grew up. When you were even saying about how Woodbridge is, what a wonderful place! I mean, it was just like this—a big infusion of of children. You know what I mean? It was everybody our age running around. I, I never, I, you know, knocking on the door, can somebody go out and play? That sounds like that old fake thing, but that's really what we did. There was no phones. I mean, I had a phone, but I never occurred to me. I should drive, a, you know, call Nancy Hopka. I just walked a few houses away and knock on Nancy. Come out. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's how our lives were. Yeah, we just lived with our friends. And you talked about reminiscing about building forts And I remember that as a kid and it just seemed like we would build forts and we would play war and yes, yes. And the perfect combination of Jersey clay, uh, wet that dried lent itself to dirt bombs. (laughs) And we would play war and we would throw these. they, They were, they were almost like cakes, uh, and we would heave them like hand grenades and they would just powder once they hit. They would explode into powder. But we always call them dirt bombs.
0: We would go down to the playground in the winter. Now, remember we used to get a lot more snow than they do now? Yes. We would build these giant, like, I don't know, I'm gonna say they weren't they weren't necessarily yeah. houses. Yeah. Yes, tunnels. That's a good way to, to do it. But we would be able to run through the and they would stay there for a relatively long time. And then we would put up these walls, and we would make hundreds of these little snowballs. And by the time they sat out there for a while, I'm sure they were ice balls. And it was just probably lucky that we never hit anybody in the eye.
1: I'm going to ask you the question that's asked of everybody so far, and it kind of gives us insight on what's important to you. You're given a parrot, and it really doesn't know what to say. What are you going to teach it?
0: I thought about this. Cowboy up. I don't know if that means anything to you, but it'll mean something to some people, and it really has nothing to do with being a
1: cowboy. <laughs> oh, I, I, I have my interpretation of it. That's very it, good.
0: It's, it just basically, I hate to say that. Oh, it, you
1: don't don't yeah, explain it. No. I
0: will let, let people figure it out. Yeah, it,
1: I think so. No, it's excellent. It's needed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's coming from a Jersey girl, so.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs>
1: All right, there's something about you uh, that we've learned quite a bit about tonight, but there's also something I'm sure that would surprise our alumni about Karen. What is it Karen that yeah. not not very many people know about you that they would be surprised?
0: E- Even the people I still associate with like for lunch like Nancy Hopton, people like that, they when they see me they or we if we go to a play in New York or something, they see me as Karen. I doubt they would Realize that I spend half my time in big, like, uh, muck boots and Carhartt clothes, 15 layers outside when it's minus 10, taking care of the horses, or reverse that, and how, and pulling in five to six hundred bales of hay that are like 30, 40 pounds each and throwing them all up into the, from the wagons, into the barn, into the loft, Just dripping with sweat. I I doubt they would perceive that I would have become so much of a farmer.
1: Your favorite music. You don't have a wide range, but what you do, and you've shared with me prior, Texas tenors. If you don't know them, look them up, folks, because you will become a fan.
0: I love them. And um, I've seen them a couple of times in concert. I like, like some of the, like the cow, I, I like almost all music. There's, there's, unless it's something, I don't know. I don't like angry music. Like even there's, not all music is angry, but I, I sort of like music. It takes me away. You know, Michael Martin Murphy is almost like a, he's my favorite, but he's almost like a cowboy poet. Now, even though he puts things to music, it's 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 sort of like tells a story andre buccelli i mean i've seen him and if i i would travel like i think he's getting too old now <laughs> but but well, and if i had to go to last concert i saw was the Oak Ridge boys it's funny you know let's i like the grand old opry i know who's ever playing it doesn't matter
1: see bob went to montana changed your life
0: he did. He did. I <laughs> I, you know, it was – and that's – and I I like that. I mean, I like that my life has changed a number of times.
1: <laughs> when we look back at high school, who made you laugh?
0: Oh, geez. Um Franny Nalepa. She was hysterical. I mean, a lot of people made me laugh just because they were my friends. But probably if I had – you know how like when you're a teenager and you're on the phone for three hours and you don't even know what you're talking about but you're laughing? Franny Nalepa. And that would be another person. I didn't even think of her. That would be a person I'd love to see at the reunion. I've never seen her at any of the reunions, I don't think.
1: Who impressed you? Impressed me.
0: Teacher, kid? Your choice. I'm going to say impressed me, but I don't know why. Maybe because it was someone different than I... There was a teacher, and I think her name was Miss Teague. Janet Teague, English teacher. I was good at English. It wasn't like a hard class for me, but she was different. And I didn't necessarily want to be like her, but she handled, you know, when you go to college and people ask you questions in a different way and you actually realize you can think, like you may not agree with the person, but you you can think for yourself. But I really liked the fact. So when you say that she impressed me, she was different. You know, she, not that I didn't like other teachers, but there was something about her. Even when I didn't like what she was saying, I liked the challenge she was throwing out there. So and I guess that would be the person.
1: So yeah. good people. We're going to close our conversation, Karen, with Questionnaire from the popular show Inside the Actor Studio.
0: Okay. And I'm
1: going to give you about nine or 10 questions and take your time. It's uh, the first one's going to be what's your favorite word? Kind. What is your least favorite word?
0: Oh, boy. I'm going to say prejudice. That's, I'm trying to make it broad. It's okay. not necessarily just the word. but
1: What turns you on?
0: Can I say horses?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> okay. The same questionnaire went out to uh, Charlotte, and Charlotte answered nine out of the ten questions, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, I believe.
0: Oh, okay, very good.
1: Yeah. This is your questionnaire. All right. What turns you off?
0: Um, I'm going to say disrespectful people. I Again, I'll make that broad. You know, that's.
1: That's fine. Own it. What sound do you love?
0: Nickering.
1: What sound do you hate?
0: ATVs.
1: What profession other than yours would you would have liked to have practiced?
0: If I wasn't a teacher, which I love being, I think I would have liked to have worked for something like the Nature Conservancy removing dams. Does that make sense? Yes. Writing grants, remove, re- restoring big things. I mean, instead of just my little milkweed garden, you know, ha- having projects that would have a, a, a huge effect. I think,
1: I think there's a line of clothing and marketing that we could brand for the (laughs) reunion. There we go. (laughs) To Karen that you, you could just sell and let's start pushing these. (laughs) At the door, at the door. Put the pressure. If you want to enter, you buy. Get the wallet out. Okay. (laughs) What profession would you not like to attempt under any circumstances?
0: Um, I couldn't be a singer or an artist under any circumstances. <laughs> there's nobody, nobody but my horses are willing to listen to me sing, and there's no market for stick figures.
1: Okay, if heaven existed, what would you like God to say to you when you arrive at the pearly gates?
0: Well, come on in, but also, uh, Good
1: job, Karen. <laughs> and final, your final question, and I can't thank you enough for sitting down to talk with us, but this one ties us back to Woodbridge High, but not at 1970, but let's talk about 2021. And if you had an opportunity, you were asked to speak to the assembly of all the students at Woodbridge High School today, and they only gave you 30 seconds. Oh,
0: boy.
1: What would you say to them, Karen?
0: Well, in a world where you can be anything, be kind.
1: Outstanding. On that note, it can't get any better. And Karen, I thank you. I hope that you are able to attend, and Bob is able to attend as well.
0: Oh, he won't go. He,
1: he won't said,
0: go. No, no. He only went to one of his reunions, and that's it's, he. He won't go because he says all I do is talk to Nancy Hopton and the letter. I don't. <laughs>
1: so he, Just it's tell, tell them they 'em they're gonna play Michael Martin Murphy music. Well, thank you, go. Karen, thank you for taking the time to do this. And Oh, uh,
0: thank you so much. You're doing it with all these classmates and Hey, we're
1: having so, fun with it, that's best, all I
0: and I appreciate you asking me.
1: Okay, we gotta we gotta keep people together and uh let's why not do it? So
0: Thank you so well, much.
1: Once again, stay safe and uh, God bless. Bye, bye now. Bye.